1: What's the one thing all great teams have in common? Great coaching. Try to suck up to me, everyone. I'm Gordon Bombay, the new hockey coach. All right, let's go! Learn B, come on! We're Team
0: USA, gathered from all across America, and we're going to stick together.
2: You know why? Because we are ducks, and ducks fly together.
3: It's the Quack Attack Podcast. Hey, everybody. I guess it was a little noisy. I'm Mike. That's Tommy. Hello, everyone. That's Kevin. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Quiet Take Podcast, the definitive Mighty X podcast. We are back, and we have a special episode today because we have on the phone lines right now Michael T. Ryan, supervising music editor for all three Mighty X films. He's also done, like, tons of other stuff, so you probably have heard his music somewhere. Michael, thank you for being here. So, to on. Thank you for having me. So, I like to hear the journey here. Like how do you become a music editor in all these Hollywood films? What uh what pushed you on that path? Well I had a degree in have a degree in music education from Oklahoma State University and I was recruited economic valuable
2: at high school at Interactor uh actually in that RSTO. Uh while doing that, uh I took film scoring classes at UCLA uh with the hopes of becoming a film composer at some point. Uh, after completing that, I moved to Burbank and um, moved my family there and was sort of trying to find jobs as a composer, walking around with my uh, cassette tape at that time. It was the uh, the late 80s. And my resume and trying to find places that would hire composers. And I got tired of walking around one day and decided to call a sound effects company uh, to see if they had composers who worked with them. So I called a few and I finally called this one in particular and I told them what I was doing and there was a pause and the receptionist said, are you calling about the driver job? And I said, yes. (laughs) So uh, I went down there quickly with my resume and I uh, was handing it in. And the guy who owned the company came out and saw me and sort of asked me what I was doing. And I told him and he said, we'll come back to the office. Let's talk for a minute. And, um, so we talked, and I was older than most people who would apply for a driver or a production assistant sort of job. So he said, why do you want to do this? And I said, well, you know, I've always loved the movies and music. I'm trained to be a composer. I want to get in any way that I can. So he said, okay, well, we'll give you a try. You can start. So they uh, had me be a driver for a while. After about six months, they I guess saw some potential and began training me as a dialogue editor, mm. and I began doing that, and then eventually worked my way up to supervising dialogue editor, and was working on shows like The Wonder Years and Parenthood and uh, Hooperman and some small features. And while I was doing that, I was getting to know the music editors who worked on those projects, and there was one particular company called Segway Music had a lot of music editors. And after a while, when I would have slow Times I would go over to that company and I'd sort of hang out and see what they were doing. And finally, they had an opportunity uh, for an assistant music editor to come on board. And they called me and asked if I was interested, so I did, and sort of worked my way back up uh, through assistant music editing and then became a supervising music editor over there. Uh, And it was during that time when I did the Mighty Ducks films and since then have left and started my own company and then gone out independent as well. And that's my journey.
0: Wow. Very succinct. So I have a quick question. Um, You said you were able to, I guess, impress them as you were a driver. Uh, What exactly impressed them with your driving? Unless I'm totally misinterpreting this (laughs) industry term.
2: (laughs) Well, it wasn't that I I was impressed as a driver. It's that um, I did my job well as that and that I seemed to have a fair amount of smarts. And when I wasn't cataloging things and driving and delivering, I would try to sit with the editors who were working there and get an idea what they were doing. So they saw that, you know, I was possibly smarter than the average bear and had the potential to move up quickly.
0: Very cool. Um, And can you tell us real quick what you did as a dialogue editor? Is that exactly what it sounds like?
2: Uh, It kind of is. Basically the job of a dialogue editor is to take all the uh, dialogue sound that is shot on set um, and go back to the original recordings from the set, because what they'll do is they'll load those into uh, some form of a, an editing piece of equipment and the quality is not necessarily that good. So as the dialogue editor, I go in and I make sure that it's all uh, the best quality from the original uh, at that time, quarter inch tapes that were done now it's all done digitally uh, and making sure that it's sort of split between characters on different tracks, because as you know, you'll see a scene and one character may be with their back to a street and the other one has their back to a building. So every time you cut to that street, there's going to be more noise from traffic. So it's the dialogue editor's job to sort of smooth out the cuts back and forth, sometimes adding a little extra street noise to the side that doesn't have it so that it smooths all that out. And when it gets to the mix stage, then they have the ability to sort of raise and lower uh, each of those characters' lines of dialogue to make it as smooth as possible.
1: So uh, if you were to go back uh, in the past and tell, I don't know, 12-year-old you that uh, you would have 120 m- movie credits to your name, what do you think you would have said back then?
2: Uh, I probably would have said something like, great, the plan worked. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it all came together. Uh, I, when I was uh, in in high school and stuff like that, I was you know film scores and and I think one of my first uh, LPs that I ever bought was the soundtrack to. I think I played the grooves all the way through on them, uh, and often I would have to put music. Behind someone's dramatic reading, in those classes they were doing a poem, and they want to sort of spruce it up with some background music. I would sort of be the person to see if I can find a piece of music that will work for that. And that was exactly what I do now. Um, so it was just sort of a foreshadowing of you know, where I would end up going. So it's it's been a you know a fantastic ride, and it's everything I could hope for, and I get thrilled by it still every day. So how do you end
3: up if I'm looking at your i m d b correctly, the supervising music supervising music editor, your first one was the Mighty Ducks. uh How do you end up getting that job and getting on the Mighty Ducks there?
2: um I had been with Segway Music as I told you I transferred into there as an assistant uh probably six months um, or so until they began to sort of, uh, again, let me get my feet onto projects as my own. I would assist other people, or I'd be a second editor. Um, I had just finished working on The Last of the Mohicans, which was actually my first um, film credit, but not as a supervising editor. And I uh, had finished that, and then I was sort of relaxing a little bit, and I got the call from uh, my boss saying, okay, there's this other film that needs a music editor, we want to put you on it. And that's the way the company worked is they would get calls from production companies, studios and say, Hey, we've got a film, we need, you know, a music editor, and they would assign one of their people to it. And in this case, I was assigned to this. So um, I, you know, went down and I started on the project. And because I was the one who spearheaded uh, the project and sort of oversaw anything, and there were some occasionally other editors would come on to help or that sort of thing. Then I got the title of supervising music editor. Um, I actually don't think that there's anybody else who in the film has a credit as music editor. It, there may be, and I'd have to go back and look a credit as music editing by Segway music supervising music editor, Michael T Ryan. Um, and in some ways it was more of a prestige thing just to make sure you got supervising, even if you were the only person on it, because mm-hmm. it just looked better. <laughs>
1: Fair can enough. I, I can understand that. <laughs> yeah yeah
3: yeah so i mean less the mohicans and the maydocs very different films there uh yeah just what's yours and just looking at your sort of credits here you've sort of spanned the map from passion of the christ to sherlock gnomes like what's your like thoughts when you go from these like super serious ones or super like r-rated one to these g-rated or pg-rated ones
2: you know, I, I just think of it as another job and every time I start a new film, it's it's kind of an adventure and it's like, okay, what pitfalls are there going to be? What adventures are there going to be? What, you know, what's going to make me crazy and what can I contribute to it? Because the music editor really does put the of what the music's going to be eventually. So there's a lot of influence that I can have early on in the process about um what style of music is going to be or it's started, uh, before the composer even comes on. So I don't, it, sometimes it can be a little schizophrenic if you go from something of like a really dark horror film to something totally light and fluffy. Um, but it's kind of a never a dull moment situation because I think I would go crazy if I had to, you know, sit in a factory and make, you know, widgets every day, at least this way, every three to six months, I'm onto a new project doing the same job but the work is completely different
3: fair enough fair enough so uh, as you mentioned or as i mentioned spanned all three mighty ducks ones which is not something a lot of people did i think the creator steve brill wasn't really involved in the third one so you even beat him uh what sort of pitfalls were pre- present in the mighty ducks there that uh sort of caused you to pull your hair out and, and kind of really gave you difficulty there
2: one of the hardest things with my job, but also as I as I sort of alluded to, one of the biggest influences that, that the music editor can have is in what's called the temp score or the temporary music score. The music editor often comes on early in the process, even while they're still shooting sometimes, but more often just as they're finishing shooting and the editor is beginning their assembly. And it's their job to begin to score the film using music from other uh, films and, and things like that, So that when they show it to the producer, to the director, or eventually when they take it out and preview it to an audience, it feels like an actual movie. Uh, So it's a lot of times what they'll do is just hand over a few scenes and say, here you go. Uh, Put music in where you think it's most appropriate. (laughs) Uh, So it's the music editor who sort of, as I said, begins that blueprint that eventually the composer will follow. Sometimes, there's not much direction from the producer, director, editor in terms of what do. So I can sort of begin to experiment with uh, should it be this style, should it be that style, should it be comedic, how to play it. Mm-hmm. So that can be sort of where the hair pulling happens because I might put in something which I think seems appropriate and works very well, but it may be totally different from uh, the direction that the director, you know, Steve Herrick might have wanted uh and this is my first of five films with steve so you know eventually we got very much in sync as we got farther down the line um so there were some there were some areas you know trying to you know create the sort of the emotional elements of um of the film you know encounter to all of the action sort of stuff uh if i remember correctly we used uh, for the emotional or sort of the magical moments, especially the flashbacks to the father and the skating and that sort of stuff. We used stuff from Field of Dreams mm-hmm. in the temp score, um, which you can sort of hear when Dave Newman uh, did his version of it. It sort of alludes to that. Uh, for a lot of the action stuff, we I had temped in stuff from a film called Toy Soldiers by nice. Robert Folk, which, which was about a military school. But it sort of had that really thriving you know, snare drum, uh, based, uh, action sort of stuff, which then David adapted into, you know, our theme and, and that same sort of style, which carries through all three films.
1: Is, was there ever any point, like on any project that you've worked on, um, that you kind of look back at it now and you think to yourself, like, what was I thinking? That was a terrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> um,
2: yes, there are, um, uh, Fortunately, what those situations normally are rectified by the composer. Because <laughs> if I put something in in the temp score that is like, oh, what was I thinking? Usually, the composer will sort of break away or say, no, this really, this really is what we should be doing. So, uh, but I think I've done it long enough, and I have a fairly good sense of um, of drama and music that I can eventually come to a place that works pretty well. And you've also got the director and the producer who are sort of behind you saying, no, this is what we need. So, uh, you know, I may have some bad ideas in the beginning, but that's the way ultimately the project needs to go.
0: Um, and so obviously in the Ducks, there's, um, you know, a couple of very famous Queen songs used in the trilogy. Um, and, it, you know, they're very much pegged to to scenes in, in the movies. Do you recall what the process was of... of like did you know Brill and Herrick? Did they say, "Hey, we want these at this certain times," or, or how involved are you with that? And um, you know, and, and also you know, acquiring the rights to some of these you know big time songs.
2: Well, a lot of that had to do with Disney, because so not long before that, um, I think Disney Records had acquired the rights to a lot of Queen library, mm-hmm. and they found this as a way to those songs appropriately, appropriately to them. There was a uh, pushback at times from the filmmaker, especially from Steve um, about the use of them. And especially, I believe at the end of, Oh, I can't remember exactly was it, the the first one um, where he felt it was more appropriate to go out and score in a big score suite, score suite instead of mm-hmm. um, using the, the Queen song. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think it was, in a way, a marketing decision on Disney's part. Um, But it has sort of become iconic now with the films and with everybody who watches them and associates those songs. So, um, you know, it worked. It became a hallmark for the films. And I'm sure, you know, it also became a successful marketing tool.
3: Is that common where studios are sort of trying to push their own or trying to sort of uh sort of place their own products in there?
2: It's not uncommon. No, it's (laughs) not. Um especially those studios who have, you know, a large music division like like Disney does, Warner does. Um they can only go so far because especially as you have stronger filmmakers uh, they'll definitely get pushback on that. And sometimes those choices are appropriate and correct, and they work, you know, as a nice center for the project. Uh, other times they'll suggest, hey, let's use this, 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 and we'll try them, and then they fall mis- flat on their face. And think, that's <laughs> a good idea. It's Not, um, you know, the, the movie arts, that's probably the movie business. So, you know, mm-hmm. there are always those considerations.
3: Yeah, so I mean, when you look at like through these three movies, obviously you came back for the second two. Are you thinking like you need continuity throughout, or is each film sort of separate? How did you sort of approach
2: the sequels? Um, they very much had to have continuity throughout, and one of those continuities was going to be the score. So once we had established the great score that David did for the first film, and as I began to tempt the subsequent films, I would use those scores uh, in various places, you know, especially during the hockey action sequences and, and you know, those, those moments where it seemed appropriate, so that in each of those subsequent films, in the, well, as we did the temp, those continued, and then the last second. Films were by Jack Redford and he took those themes and uh into the new music that he was doing.
3: When you look at a sports movie, is it is it harder or is it easier to do uh to music edit in those? Or does it matter when you have a sports movie versus a regular sort of drama or comedy or whatever? In a way
2: it's as to how they should be you know, like the Mighty Ducks films or Miracle, you know, where there's a real sort of underdog triumph sort of thing. There's, there's a an arc that's built into the filmmaking as well as the music. And there are some really good scores out there from uh, uh, sports films, which can serve that purpose. And you can also branch out like we did on this and go to a film, which you wouldn't necessarily think of as a sports film, the, the uh, uh, Toy Soldiers, which I mentioned which is more military, but it worked because it was sort of a military uh, feeling to some of these action sequences, and if you listen to sports scores, whether it's Rudy or the parts of Forrest Gump that are, you know, sports-oriented or, you know, this and who knows how many others, there is that sort of military action feel, almost, you know, like a a gladiatorial sort of uh, moment, so there's sports films have an an element of battle and conflict and you can use music in these temps from other films, you know, whether it's, you know, it could be a, a moral action movie or something like that. Um, so there's a lot to draw from to um, sports films.
0: When you're um, kind of speaking generally, when you're working on a project, how long does it take you to kind of realize, Hey, we got like, a, this is going to be really good. People are going to love this versus a you know this this is a fun movie or you know it's whatever this probably isn't going to win awards like how long does it take you to do that or do you know like when you're taking on a job you know you know what you're getting into
2: unless it's a known property or or something that just seems like it's going to be sort of epic to begin with like the passion of the christ or you know spider-man 3 which you've come from you know Things like that. A lot of times I don't know if it's going to be successful or not until it actually comes out because you get so immersed in it and you get sort of a tunnel vision that you lose, you lose perspective on it a little bit because it's all nuts and bolts at this point. Uh, it's like being, you know, building a car and being inside of it and putting it all together and you don't really realize what it looks like on the outside to everybody else until it drives out the, you know, the door.
3: So can you just, like, at the end, can you just watch the movie and be, like, okay with how it turned out? Or are you, like, picking apart every little music
2: aspect that's in there? Uh, I try to watch it from just an audience perspective, but obviously I know we're all bodies are buried. <laughs> so it's not, um, I can't totally separate myself from it, but I do try to sit back and, and just enjoy it as a as a film goer, which I also do to any other film. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, you're so immersed in music and movies. Do you analyze every movie you watch and, and tear it apart? And I say, no, I just I sit and, and enjoy the, the movie. And if it's done properly, you don't necessarily notice the music in it unless it's meant to be noticed. But a good film score supports the story and doesn't overwhelm it. Although there can be moments where it's pushed for a dramatic reason
0: is there a, is there a movie or project you've worked on that maybe isn't necessarily known for you know its score or, or you know you know, obviously everyone you know knows Last Mohicans and you know kind of that you know very powerful music. Is there something that you think you know we should go and watch and listen to to, to really kind of appreciate the work that went into it that maybe you so like uh, people wouldn't really think of as being you know known for its music?
2: One of my favorite um, films that I did, which Steve actually directed as well, Steve Herrick, uh, was 101 Dalmatians, which nice. Michael Kamen scored. And people you know, would probably go to watch that and think, oh, cute dogs and that kind of stuff. But if you really pay attention to the score, there are some very good musical elements that Michael brought to it uh, that are little quotes of other things. Like at one point, there's um, how much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> or um, there's a couple other sort of dog themed moments uh, that are um, other, other films. You know, that, that nothing jumps off my, my plate at the moment of that, but um, I, some of the, the composers that I've worked with, like, like uh, Michael Kamen and Michael Tavera and, uh, Holy Man with Alan Silvestri and, uh, the things that Chris Bacon and I have done, like Source Code and Sherlock Gnomes, uh, just really great writing that people don't necessarily, um, think about. It. A source Code that, that Chris Bacon did, um, really good film. And the, the score is very interesting because it's sort of a throwback to uh, Bernard Herrmann sort of stuff, like North by Northwest, especially if you listen to the opening, uh, the opening credits to that and just, the way he he works around with with a lot of the themes and and really supports the film is is, uh, really good, I think.
3: So you mentioned working with these composers and they're coming up with scores. Uh, How involved are you sort of in the process of of actually coming up with those scores? Do you just sort of tell them this is what I'm looking for then they hand you something in return or are you with them sort of uh, composing it
2: as well? not necessarily composing it but i become the liaison between the filmmakers and the composers because if i've worked with the filmmaker on creating this temp score i've been able to discover what they like and don't like and how you know the music you know where it should be because we've gone through a lot of stuff in cases and thrown out ideas and, and come up with this template so mm-hmm. once the composer comes on the music editor is very important and being that person who can Tell the composer the information and the insights from the filmmakers, as well as once the composer begins writing the original music, I can help the filmmakers to understand what they're doing and to accept things that are maybe slightly different from the temp. Because what can happen is filmmakers can get uh, what we call temp love because they've worked so hard on that temp score. Nothing else could ever you know surpass it, and yet they have a composer who's going to be writing original music and bringing new and exciting things to it, so the music editor can help them understand how well, see here it, it does what the temp did, but see how they brought this new side to it, and it really enhances that moment and then once the composer has has written that score i 'm usually the one they 'll create demos of it in their synthesizers and I'll load them into my computer and i'll play them for the filmmaker, and get approvals so that everything, you know, they've heard all the music and they figured it all out before it's actually ever recorded, if we are doing a live, like, orchestral session. In some cases, the composer is uh, creating the music in the studio in, in their synthesizers, but still, it all has to be approved before we get to the final mix. So it's my job to sort of help that process and I'm often working with the composer. Sometimes they'll say, Okay, here's this scene. can you create something for me based out of this material? Let me give you some cracks and see if you can cut something together to give me an idea of what I should do. So I'm sort of sort of temping with their own music in some cases to help them find a path through some you know difficult areas. Then I'm there at the recording session and making sure that we've done all the cues we need and gotten all the music in that I gather all that music together and then load it into my Pro Tools system and then take it to the dubbing stage where we mix it with the dialogue, sound effects, and, uh, and the music for the final product. So I'm sort of shepherding the music all the way from concept and temp through the final dub.
0: Gotcha. And so you mentioned uh, earlier, I think that you were calling from the dubbing stage or what, uh, what project are you working on now? Uh,
2: Right now, I'm on uh, the dubbing stage for the CBS show Seal Team, which we're in our second season now. Uh, And then I'm also going to be doing our third season of Sneaky Pete on Amazon.
3: Love Sneaky Pete. One of my favorites.
2: I'm not familiar. It's a fun show. Yeah. Hmm. I've watched a bit of it. I enjoy it. So,
3: yeah. So, uh, you just talked about you're in it and you're not really 100% sure until it comes out. And I think... A lot of people we've talked to has talked about the same thing, and they weren't even one hundred percent sure the Mighty Ducks was gonna work. And now it's this whole sort of uh, thing that people like us in our twenties and early thirties have sort of held on to for nostalgic reasons. Like, how do you look back at your work on the Mighty Ducks? What, what are you? What's your sort of grade of yourself there?
2: I really enjoyed it and I, all three of the films I thought were great. It was a a pleasure working with Jordan Kerner across, across all of them. And he and I had subsequently done some other films as well. Uh, they're just, they're, they're a lot of fun. There's just a lot of heart in them. And I am really sort of proud of the fact that I did all three of them. Uh, you probably know that at the end of projects and things like that, there's usually some sort of rap gift. Mm -hmm. And they were very generous on these films where they had some really nice jackets, um, warm jackets uh, for the the first and second films, very kind of similar in style. But then for those of us who had done all three films, and there weren't many of us at the end, they actually gave us a red letterman's jacket, (laughs) similar to the ones in the film. And there was a bar on the sleeve for each of the three films, just as if you had played, you know, uh, sophomore, junior, senior year. (laughs)
0: Nice. Do you, cool. do you still wear that jacket so, like every other week? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, unfortunately, in Southern California, there's not many times to be able to wear it. But, uh, <laughs> I do have it still, and it's it's a it's a treasured moment for me.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at these films, like, can you tell, like, hey, this one's gonna be good, and this one's not gonna be that great? Uh, like, how much can you just get from the sort of rough cuts of what you're working on?
2: You, you do get a feel for it, you know, because a lot of it has to do with how well it's written. And, and, and Steve did a great job on setting the tone in, in the first film. And you do realize, you know, that, that, that there is a lot of heart. And Steve Herrick is, is great at bringing heart to his films like this and Mr. Holland's Opus and 101 Dalmatians. And so I did on, on these feel that it was, uh, you know, there was going to be something good there, you know, and I knew that Disney was, was behind it. It's, it's funny because the I don't know if who else you've talked to, but the name of the Mighty Ducks actually didn't come along until we were well into post production. Has anyone told you that? I don't think so. What
3: was it originally? When I came
2: on the, when I came on the film, the script said Bombay. Oh, yeah. We have heard that before. Uh... Right. And so it wasn't. And I'm trying to remember if, if they even say the phrase the Mighty Ducks in the film. You guys probably know more than I do.
3: Yeah, Bombay says it uh at one point. He says we're the ducks, the mighty ducks, and then they all cheer. Okay. So uh
2: Right. So that's that is where they got that from.
3: God, well, interesting. That's a good bit of trivia there. Alright, so Michael, we do this thing called the quack question where we put out for the fans, they ask us questions, we try to answer the best ones. So we put out a call for questions specifically relating to you and your expertise. And uh, Kevin has one for you here.
0: All right.
1: Uh, There were some good ones. We put out a call about 30 minutes before this, and we got quite the response. Um, I'm going to have to go with this one. This one comes from uh, Brian, who's at bberg19 on Twitter. Uh, uh, His question is, the We Will Quack You sequence in D2 has kind of weird audio, almost like you realized how lame it was and tried to bury bury the chant behind the Queen song. Is that how it actually went down?
2: A little bit like that, yes. I think <laughs> that, if I remember, if I remember correctly, uh, they, they may have been just a little bit off. And so it just sort of helped to support it and bring it up to double it up and, and you know, create that sort of mashup, if you will.
1: Wow. Hmm. I'm going to have to go back and listen yeah. to that because I've, I've never really noticed that I before. I would
3: not have gotten that. Yeah. Just uh, before we go, any other moments from the Mighty Ducks stick out for you?
2: I was looking the other day at um, Mighty Ducks 2, D2, two, um, and it was interesting because I remember at the introduction of the new players, each one of them sort of has this musical moment for them. And I remember that I was sort of the one who, putting in temp score for those, established what they were being. And it, it, they're a little bit obvious, obviously. Um, uh, Luis has the the sort of Cuban um, sort of stuff and, and that, but I remember... They said, you know, come up with something for these, which, which I did for those. And then when they begin to play that first scrimmage, uh, there's this sort of sort of jazz country thing going on uh, for that. And I remember uh, I used music from City Slickers, Mark Shaman's score, <clears throat> because it did it sort of had a bit of that Western stuff for, you know, the text character, but also was sort of wacky because of all this, the stuff that was going on. Um, so that was one of the places where I remember having an influence musically and also in, into later when they're in one of the games, like, I think it's against Italy, and yeah. they're, you know, the, the, the guys are just bashing the other players, and we have <laughs> the anvil chorus from, um,
0: from I remember the, that, yeah. Person,
2: but you, you notice it. Uh, that again, that was one of my ideas to put that in because it was opera. We're thinking Italy, but they're also beating the heck out of these guys. So um, another one of the places where I was able to put a little influence on it.
3: Nice. I love it. I love it. All right. Michael T. Ryan, supervising music editor for a bunch of stuff. Hear his music seal team on CBS. Anywhere else that's out right now that people can go and hear kind of your work?
2: Um. Sherlock Holmes, you know, it came out earlier in the year, but if you haven't checked it, check it out. It's great because it integrates not only original score, but also uh, song bits from uh, from Elton John songs, which are, you know, sort of key elements for characters, as had been in the first film, Nomeo and Juliet. Uh, and there's some cases where I had to sort of cut those bits of song into and around the score uh, to make those work. So mm-hmm. it was a fun little process of combination of, of original score from chris bacon as well as the elton john songs
3: awesome awesome so for us the at quack on twitter facebook.com slash go to itunes give us five stars tell us your favorite musical moment from the trilogy i'm sure michael was involved in it well i guess he had to be uh go to the shop keep using the amazon link and remember ducks fly together ducks fly together quack quack